Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. The scripture reading this morning is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You may be seated. Would you open God's word, please, to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to begin our reading in just a couple of minutes in verse 31. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31. May I tell you how happy I am to see you. I am to be, well, alive, because Cindy and I came back from PTP with a little bug, and I think a lot of people did, and we're much, much better now. And I want to say something to those of you who are watching on live stream this morning. Welcome to you. I think we have people from a lot of places. I, I rarely am where you are, but last week I was, and I was able to enjoy the live stream for worship Heard two great sermons last week and enjoyed them very much. And I want to remind you of this. The live stream is terrific for that purpose. It's not good for a substitute for assembling. So just bear that in mind. The church has always been an assembling group of people. And while it's true that sometimes you may not be able to assemble, I wasn't last week, but when you are, be sure that you're in the assembly and we can all worship together and gain the strength that God intended for us to have. Now, Matthew chapter 25. If you want a man to do what Colossians 3 and 16 says, to sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We had great singing this morning. Would you say that that, that line in Colossians 3 characterized your singing? That you think about, he just loves me so much that it went to the cross for me. And you sing upon the realization that without him, we have no hope. And then we sing out of a heart like that. What do you call that? Well, you call it singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Did you sing like that this morning? Well, I, I can't read your heart, but I tell you what, the singing was, as always, just beautiful. Stephen did a great job choosing our, our songs for us. If you want a man to sing like that, I doubt that what you do is talk to him about the pearly gates I like to think about heaven, but I'm not sure that will do it. But if you want a man to really appreciate the grace of God, really appreciate to the degree that he's going to sing with grace in his heart to the Lord, and what you do is talk about Matthew 25, which is our text today. Then, then what you'll find is a man who will sit in an assembly like this, and he'll sing, God, his son not sparing, when I think, God, his son not sparing, he sent him to die, to take away my sin, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. That's what he's going to say. 
because he'll be filled up with it. And his prayers are deeper. He loves the Word of God because he understands the grace of God. He understands that it comes even to me. Now, in Matthew chapter 25, you have kind of an interesting thing. It's easy, I think, for people sometimes to to look at the good works of being a Christian and you contrast that with doctrine and obedience to doctrine as being part of being a Christian. And maybe one is more important than the other, right? A few years ago, I took a great study, a lengthy study in movement. This is mistakes that they made is that they emphasized good works and de-emphasized obedience to the degree that into our assembly what we should Why don't we invite him to sit down and we'll study the Bible with him? What they would say is, let, because God teaches us through life experiences, let's bring him in and say, you teach us about your life experiences. Not about the scriptures, teach us your life experiences, because that's how we would learn from him. They would de-emphasize the doctrine and really emphasize the good works. But the interesting thing, of course, the Bible, the Bible that that teaches that we have to obey the gospel, Thessalonians 1 and verse 7 and following, that the vengeance of Christ is going to come on them that don't obey the gospel. We've got to become Christians. Also gives us Matthew 25, beginning in 31, that talks about the kind of benevolent good works that Christians do. So you can't put pit one against the other. What I want to do is an expository lesson today. Let's walk down through this passage clause by clause. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides His sheep from the goats. When the Son of Man comes, I want you to be impressed with the fact that this is very emphatic. And it doesn't say, maybe the Son of Man will. It doesn't say anything such as, the Christians believe Jesus is going to come again and he will come, but not for the rest of us because I've never believed in that stuff. I don't believe it. That's not how this reads. Scripture never reads like that. It's very emphatic. When the Son of Man comes, I want you to let that press on your mind. There will come a day if the Bible is true, if the cross is real, If heaven and hell are real, I'm telling you, there will come a day when God's going to bring an end to this old world, and it's the judgment day. When the Son of Man comes, it's very emphatic, just like 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10, it says this, the day of the Lord will come, the day of the Lord will come as a thief of the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat, the earth, the works therein shall be burned up. When the Son of Man comes... Now, I want you to bear in mind from 2 Peter 3 and 10 that it's going to be a noisy occasion. You will witness soon from the way this reads, we're going to witness the destruction of this planet. That's why not to do it, but when she turned and looked back at Sodom, what she found was a conflagration. She just found it utterly being destroyed. When, when it comes time for the judgment day, I expect that you and I are going to be burning. Why is that important? Well, I I would say that one reason is that you're not going to look back and think, boy, I sure hope I get to go back there. It won't be like that. What she'll do with me is that she'll say, that old earth is gone. 
I can't look there. I must look here. Right? When the Son of Man in His glory, the Greek word for glory is doxa, and oh, this is this is impressive. It it means majestic majesty of heaven's deity. It is the the majesty of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when he comes, I want you to be impressed. It won't just be something. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7 says, every eye is going to see him. And then he adds parenthetically, and those who pierced him. That's interesting, isn't it? Just to let you know, even those who pierced him are going to be there. And that every eye is going to see him. This is going to be a very dramatic occasion. The trumpets are going to blow and the, the archangel is going to shout and it will be the judgment day. And, and when that happens, he's going to come in his glory, in his glory, and everybody's going to see him. Keep reading. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him. Now just be impressed with this. The angels are coming. I, I said the other day, from this pulpit, I, I don't, um, I've, I've never seen an angel to my knowledge. I'd love to see an angel. I, I wouldn't mind if the first couple of years or so in eternity, I just got to sit with a few angels and ask them questions. Talk to them. Tell them, I understand that you're a created being. I understand that you bear some similarities to us. I understand that sometimes angels dispatched to come to earth, and they were in human form. You know, I mean, yeah, you take, for example, Genesis chapter 19 and Sodom and Gomorrah, and here, here you have two angels come. In Genesis chapter 32, you have, you have Jacob wrestling with an angel. So many different occasions. Luke chapter 16, you have, you have uh, Lazarus died, you know. That poor man, that poor, poor man. But the Bible says that when he breathed his last, that an angel, or the angels came and bore him to glory. They took him. When my papa died, my, my grandma was there beside him bed, and she had read that passage. I'm convinced it was because of Luke 16, that when she realized he had breathed his last breath, that she reached up as if she could see him ascending with those angels. To me, that's always been a very comforting thought, you know, that the angels would bear us up when we leave this world, because I suppose angels to be very gentle. And there are times when God goes one, two, a few of his angels to come onto this earth, and they would, they would be in human form, and that's a fact. I mean, I hope I get to ask him about that one day, but when the judgment day comes, there's not going to be one or two or ten or a hundred. I'm telling you, it's going to be all his holy angels. That's what this says. When he comes with all his holy angels. Now, wait, stop. That doesn't mean all the angels are coming because they're not all holy. Second Peter chapter 2 and 4, there was a time. Now, again, I'm, I'm walking into an area here that I cannot answer all the questions. I just, I just don't know. Bear in mind that the Scripture, the Bible, wasn't written to satisfy all of my curiosity. But that comes later. I hope later on I get, I get that relief. But the Bible says in Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 4 that God spared not the angels that sinned. There was a time in which angels had the capacity to choose right from wrong. And some chose wrong. That is not going to be true when you get there. I know that because First Peter chapter 1 beginning in 3 and following says that in heaven, when you're, you and I are there in our inheritance, that, that there will be nothing there to defile it. 
So there's no sin there. There will be no sin there. But having said that, there was a time when the angels could choose to sin, and some of them did. The people or the angels rather, who are coming to the judgment day are the, are the holy angels. He's coming with all his holy angels. Second Thessalonians talked about this in chapter 1 and verse 7. And it says that when he comes, he'll come with his mighty angels. His mighty angels. I'd like to see one of those. What's it going to be like? He's going to come with all of his holy angels, his mighty angels. So far as I can tell, heaven is going to be completely emptied of all of its inhabitants with the exception of the Father and the Holy Spirit because Jesus is going to come to judge us and he's going to come with all angels. Hold it now. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations. There we go. I, I've been to some pretty large assemblies. It will not tell you that I really attended a football game. And I'm telling you, there's a large group of people there. You say, what, what game are you talking about, Glenn? Any game where Alabama's playing. A large group of people. I mean, I, and I'm not accustomed to seeing that many people except on television, and that's a large group of people. What was the largest group of people you ever saw? Some of our ladies are going again this year to the National Right to Life March in D.C. on the mall there. Now, I've not been, but I tell you what, I've seen pictures and it's, it's amazing to see the thousands of people who will be there, Lord willing, on that occasion. What was the largest crowd you ever witnessed yourself? Let me tell you something. Whatever you answer, whatever you say, it has no comparison to this. The Bible teaches that when he comes, all nations are going to be there. Now, would you just bear with me? You're in Matthew chapter 25. Can we walk through a few passages? I just want to emphasize to your minds the kind of quantity of people who are going to be there on the judgment. Drop, drop back to Matthew chapter 10. I want to go to Matthew chapter 10. And let's look at verse 15. Assuredly, I say to you, it'll be more tolerant of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. You know who's going to be there? I know, I know. It's been a long time ago, but I tell you this, the people who live there. Chapter 11, in the day of judgment, then for you. Who's going to be there? People of Tyre and Sidon. Chapter 12, verse 42. The queen of the south, that's the queen of Sheba, will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Who's going to be there? Queen of Sheba's going to be there. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse one, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and dead at his appearing in his kingdom? Who's going to be there? Wow, this gets broader. The living, I would say, people fall into one of those two categories. The dead, small and great, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The books were open. Who's going to be there? The dead, small and great. I suppose you and I are among that First category, we're among the smalls. I can think of very famous people who have died, some of whom were very admirable and amazing people, amazing things in their lives. And the Bible says that when the judgment day comes, 
that trumpet blows, they're going to be there. In John 3 and 16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world, but the world so mentioned in Acts 17 and verse 31. He's appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. What's that? The whole world. Most of us fall into that category. The whole world will be there. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, the Bible says we must all appear before the judgment. Bear in mind the emphasis that the Scripture puts on the universality of the judgment day. How many will be there? And the answer is, there will be no one living or dead who will not be there. That's very impressive to me because it has nothing to do with whether or not I choose to make this appointment. And would do as well to say, I refuse to die, as he would to say, I refuse to attend the judgment day. No, no, no refusal of that. Appointed unto man. That's an appointment that was made for you. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he's going to sit on the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. When we get to the judgment day, I don't know, maybe, maybe you've experienced this before. Have you ever been in a large crowd and felt very lonely? It can happen, right? One of the reasons I got married was because of this. Because Mrs. Collie is really good with names and, and places that we go. It's just a wonderful thing to have somebody there that you're close to, somebody that you love and trust and, and been wonderful throughout my life. Did, did you ever go to a place where there were lots of people and you just didn't know anybody, felt very much alone, very alone in a large group? Happen. And you're going to be a large group, the largest of all when the judgment happens. And yet there's a very real And so what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, watch this. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every man may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done. So many things I don't understand. I don't know how that's going to happen. You have that many, and each one is going to be treated individually. That is to say that it's not going to be that we say, or that God will say, now, you're going to be judged based on the fact that you were an American, and that, that uh, was a Christian nation. I doubt that could be said today anyway. But that's not going to be said. Or, or that you were part of this congregation. It was a very faithful congregation. You're going to be judged based on that. Or that you were part of a very faithful Christian family. You'll be judged on that. That's not how it's going to be said. Because we will receive what, how we have, whether or not we're in Christ. And when that happens, follow me now to this. Verse 33 and following. Get down to verse 36. Aren't you impressed with the fact that he knows us so well? I, I, um, I'm impressed with that. And it's, it's 
for the righteous is to say, here, here are my conditions. I, were, I was hungry and you fed me. Incidentally, in this church, that happens a lot. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. And I was sick and I was in prison and you visited me. Isn't it impressive to you that God not only watches the things that you and I do that are wrong, but that he watches and pays attention to what we do that is right? And maybe we have a harder time grasping that. Maybe, maybe to accept that is a little more difficult. I do not know why. Because Matthew 25 says it plainly. And, and, and the Christians, the Christians to whom he's speaking in this future prophecy of what's going to happen, how it's going to look at the judgment, the Christians are very humble about it. We don't, we don't know when we saw you hungry, Lord. And what is the answer to that? The answer is that, that when you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Now, Galatians 6 and verse 10 says that we're to do good unto all men, but especially to those of the household of faith. And so we show preference, of course. Our immediate church family is our main purpose, our main emphasis. But then beyond that, of course, too. I'm just here to say that, praise God, Jesus pays attention to that. I know, I know that we don't earn, you know that. I don't have to say that to you. We don't earn our salvation. We don't merit our salvation. However, it's also true that the Lord pays attention to what we do. And on the judgment, it's going to say, I was hungry and you took care of me. And I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. When did we do that, Lord? When you did it to my people. It's just like, just like Acts chapter 9 and the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. Right? Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm Jesus, whom you persecute. Hard for you to kick against the pricks. And the point was that Saul was persecuting Christians. And when you persecute Jesus' people, his people, you're persecuting him. Same thing with the good that we do. And don't you love that? Now, the books are going to be open. 20 and verse 12. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. What books? It's plural. What books are going to be opened when you and I get to the judgment? I believe there are three. The first one is the book that contains the names of the redeemed. I, I, we have so many babies in this church. Is that great or what? We happen to love babies around here and... And it's always exciting, but, and they're always coming. And Christian parents take a lot of patience with naming a baby. We don't do that haphazardly. And part of that is because we understand that one day it's going to be spoken by the lips of Jesus Christ. And there's a book of names. There's a book of the redeemed. Luke chapter 10 and verse 20. And some of the disciples came back to Jesus and they said, Jesus, this is, this is terrific. Do you understand that even the demons are, demons are subject to us in your name? And Jesus said, don't you be, don't you be jazzed about that. And he didn't say jazzed. Don't you, be, don't you rejoice in that because the demons are subject. You, you rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. So there's a book of names. The second one is the Bible. John chapter 12, and verse 48. He that rejects me and receives not my word has one that judges him. The word which I speak, the same shall judge him in the last day. The Bible's going to be there. 
And then, of course, the book of deeds, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. Here before the judgment seat of Christ, that every man may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or evil. Stop there for a second. I, I do not want all of my deeds to be rehearsed on that occasion. I don't. I, I don't. There, there are things in my life of which I am ashamed. Do you have any of those things in your life? Things I would, li- I would never like to hear referenced in, especially in a, in a place to be spoken. But Hebrews 8 and 12 says that, that God forgets. It says literally, their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now, you, talk, you want to talk about singing about grace? You want to talk about how much we are grateful for the grace of our Lord? I'm telling you, it's right here. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. When I go to the judgment day and the books are opened, the idea that he's forgotten, I'm, I don't mean that he couldn't mentally recall it. It just means that so far as my guilt is concerned, it no longer exists. And that's the beauty of being a Christian. You want to talk about why I'm great to be a Christian? Put this one at the top of the list. I'm forgiven. It's because I'm forgiven. Now 37, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you a hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to see you? The king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. Ecclesiastes 12 and 14 says God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. And my life will become an open book on that occasion. The last verse of this chapter says this, And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Colossians 3 and 16 says that when we sing, as we're doing and we're about to do in this assembly, that we're to sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. What does that mean? It means that I'm just, I'm just so filled up the gratitude that, that I have the grace that, that reaches me. It reaches me. I, that I want to sing to Him. means... And the best way to do that is to do what we've been doing this morning, the last half an hour. The best way to do that, I would argue, is to, is to reflect on Matthew chapter 25 in this part of the chapter. And just go ahead and mental, mentally put yourself there. One of these days, the trumpet's going to blow. I, I do not know what angel it will be. Second Thessalonians says that there's going to be a shout. And the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. And he goes on to some details 
I don't know who's going to blow that trumpet, the archangel. Who's the archangel? We're not told. Maybe, maybe it's Michael. I, I mean, Jude, verse 7 and 8, refers to Michael. Maybe it's Michael. I don't know, but he's got quite a role to play. And one day, that trumpet's going to blow, and that, what do you suppose Michael's going to say if it's Michael? day is now. What will he say? And maybe he will just say something like, time's up. And I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. If you're not a Christian, you're in a room of Christians right now, room full of Christians. That won't surprise you. Come along with us. Come along with us. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.